Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, would you please open them up to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we are reading from verse 10 all the way to verse 17. And let's read together, shall we? According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, But he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Amen, church. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you for calling us into your house God, we are so pleased. God, we are so glad that we are, you are our God. And God, we get to lift your name on, on high, Lord. God, as we read these scriptures, God, God, we pray for the truth. God, we pray for the revelation of this passage to permeate deeply into our hearts and our lives, Lord. God, as we have just read, God, God, we desire to be holy. We desire to be your people. God, we desire to be the church that indwells your presence, your spirit, your glory, God. God, would you take the time to purify us, purge us, God, with your love and grace, Lord. God, we humble ourselves, do anything in us, God, so that in turn that we may do everything through you. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son. Amen. Amen. About six years ago, my wife and I were engaged in a very serious and very necessary conversation that involved her parents. As some of you guys know that my parents, uh, my parents-in-law at that time were living in Russia, having served about 20 years in the mission field. So while thinking about their retirement incumbent return to the United States, um, I, I, I don't know why, I was kind of motivated to think about it, and, and I kind of came up with the idea, you know what, why don't we have Esther's parents, my wife's parents, live with us? So I kind of uh, uh, pitched the idea to... Um, my wife, I think, I think she was kind of off guard, caught off guard because she didn't really expect anything. We haven't had any uh, prior conversations about their return. But um, because, you know, like living with parents or living with anyone that's older than you, it could be kind of uncomfortable. And, and that's not something that you normally want to volunteer, let alone uh, living with your in-laws. I mean, we love our parents. We love, I mean, for those of you guys that are, that are married... There's no doubt that we honor and respect and love our parents-in-law, but uh, to live with them, I mean, that's not something that we get really joyful about, right? 
uh, we don't have a, a, a New Year's uh, resolution. Say, so, you know what? This year I'm going to live with my parents-in-law. So, uh, but, uh, but anyway, the conversation ensued. And after some time of taking, uh, talking and praying more about it, and we decided to go forth with idea. And I remember feeling a little bit nervous and even a little bit of trepidation what it would be like living with my parents-in-law. Again, I love them. You know, I, 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 you know, I almost said, you know, I'm going to say I was blessed to have my parents-in-law living abroad. So I only had them. I only had to see them about once a year. The longest, about four weeks at a time. And after four weeks, they were gone. So I, it wasn't much of a burden at the time, but... Um, and I was kind of nervous because the truth of the matter is, who you live with affects how you live. You guys with me? I mean, is that true? How many guys live with their parents-in-law? How many guys live, okay, so you guys, maybe you understand a little bit, right? So it's absolutely true that if you live together, it affects the way you live. It affects how you live. And for me at that time, I call it the forfeiting my underwear rights. I said, living with my parents-in-law, and, and I prayed about it. I said, you know, that the best way to describe it is like, I'm giving up. I'm surrendering my right to walk around my house in my boxers. And it was a hard thing. Don't you think for a second that it, this was an easy decision? You know, in that statement, it meant surrendering the freedom of being completely carefree. This is my house. I get to do what I like. I walk around. However I want to walk around, I eat when I want to eat. I put the channel of the TV, what, what I want to watch, and it will be as loud as I, would, I want my house to be. Basically saying I want to do and how I want to do things. But living together with my parents-in-law back then would have meant that I would have to wear clothes all the time. Right? <laughs> it's a challenge of mine sometimes. Waking up and sleeping at certain hours, right? Because, you know, they're, they're your parents. You don't want to be seen as a lazy fool, right? So you have to wake up and you have to sleep at certain hours. Being mindful of how we talk to each other. Yeah, right? How about um, keeping the house cleaner? Oh, this was a tough one. Imagine living with their parents. You have to keep your house cleaner, right? Neater. Uh, what about less spontaneous fights between each other? What I mean by that is you don't have the luxury of escalating fast and then have fights and then be all awkward about it. When your parents are living in the house, guess what? We have to be nicer to each other. You can't just blow up. So those are some of the things that I thought about. What about how we use the kitchen, restroom, and the noise level? Just everything around because the truth of the matter is who you live with absolutely affects how you live. Now, uh, fast forward some years, I live with my mother-in-law. Um, uh, it's really not that bad. It's really not, actually, it's, in fact, it's, it's great. And I love it. Uh, I mean, it, it's just really wonderful, okay? It's really awkward if I just leave it at that, huh? <laughs> uh, but it's really great. So that's not really the point. Uh, it's so true. Uh, we do things a little differently. Uh, we speak and act a little bit more differently. I think we're able to catch each other before we blow up and say, hey, whoa, 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 come on now. We're not just, it's not just us anymore. You will never see Scott walking around boxers. Okay, I'm fully clothed most of the times. After dark, everyone goes to see, that's, that's my time. Okay. And, 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 and we even treat each other with a little differently, all because of my mother's, my, my mother-in-law's presence in the house. 
Because who you live with affects how you live. The Bible tells us that when we come into a relationship with God, the Bible tells us that it is no longer that we just live. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God lives in us. And it says we, upon coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, our bodies, our lives are now occupied by the Spirit of God. Upon coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, God will choose to make us His dwelling place. And if we can imagine ourselves as a house, we're no longer the only tenants, or we're no longer the only residents of our lives, but God also resides in us and with us. It's crazy how easily we forget this truth. And perhaps, sadly enough, rather than this truth being very exciting for us, rather than celebrating, man, I can't believe God is living with me. God dwells in me at all times. Rather than us getting excited about it, maybe momentarily when we just got saved, we love the thought that God is with me all the time. But somewhere along the journey of our Christian faith, we begin to push that away. We begin to be burdened by the notion that God is always with me. God is always watching me. God is tracking my every move. God dwells in me. You guys don't believe me. How would you answer the question? How would you answer this question? How would you live your life differently if God were watching you 24 and 7? How would your life lived, uh, be lived differently if you knew that God was always present? I'm just going to go out of a limb and say this. I don't think there are many of us very excited about the idea that God is tracking our every move. That God is with us, and God sees us, and God watches us at every moment, at every turn of our lives. This is a very difficult question. It's scary. It's overwhelming. We're overcome by the sense of this burden that we can't really explain. It makes some of us kick and scream, God, it's too much. God, give me some space. God, you can come when I invite you in, but God living with us, God being that close to us at every turn, every second, that's a little bit too much. But the truth is that the Bible tells us that we are God's temple. God dwells in us, and the Spirit of God lives in us. And that fact should absolutely affect the way we live our lives. Because who you live with affects how you live. The same principle applies in this passage. Today, let's explore that, uh, what this exactly means in the context of Paul addressing the church in Corinth and why he's bringing up this idea, why he's even calling the church to be holy for the Spirit of God dwells in them. You see, the Bible pictures the church of Jesus Christ as a building. And at another uh, instance, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ, where Christ is the head, we are different members of the body. And Paul says, all of you are God's temple. Apostle Peter says, he puts it this way, he says, 
We are like living stones. We are being built into a spiritual house, 1 Peter 2.5. And Paul tells us in the uh, book of Ephesians that we are joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord. And that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It's almost as though both apostles, uh, 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 both Peter and Paul, is, is insinuating that we are being put together. We're being assembled together as individuals as God is forming the church. And the, for, uh, for, and the purpose of the forming of the church is that God will make His dwelling among us. In the New Testament, there are two different passages that are sometimes confused with each other since they seem to uh, convey the same thing. And I thought uh, it would be important for us to recognize that here. The first is this. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. This is in reference to how uh, Paul was cautioning the members of the Corinthian church against uh, uh, sleeping with the prostit- temple prostitutes, uh, being promiscuous and being sexually crazy, right? He's saying, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's chapter 6. Today's passage, it says this, uh, you have to understand the difference in the pl- uh, pronouns here. He's saying, do you not know that you, meaning you all, all of you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in all of you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you all are. So we need to differentiate what Paul is saying Chapter 6 refers to our individual selves. Chapter 6 reveals to our own lifestyles, our pursuit of holiness. But rather, in this chapter, Paul is referring to that you all, together as a church, as a collective body of the Corinthian church, he's talking about you have the responsibility of being holy as God has made his dwelling place among them. You guys see the difference here? In this passage, he's not talking about the individual uh, behavior. He's talking about the congregation of believers. And, and, and uh, though the references are different here, the importance of referencing the church, both the church and us individual members as God's temple, it's absolutely the same. The need for our individual members to be holy and the collective body of believers, which is the church, for them to be holy, for us to be holy, is absolutely the same thing. It's all because God has chosen us individually, and God has chosen us as a church, as a collective body, making us God's dwelling place. And Paul uses a word that's quite interesting here. He says... You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? You're the temple of God. You have to understand, in the Old Testament era, 
You are the very person, you are the very place which I promise to dwell in. So the concept of the Holy of Holies is now obsolete because Paul is saying, in Christ, we are now the temple. Think about that. The Spirit of God dwells in you. The presence of God, God Himself has made a dwelling in us. You may be asking, what is so significant about that? What is the significance of the church being the temple? So the truth of the matter is that not only individually are we a dwelling place of God, but according to the scriptures here in the, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, God says God had designated the church, the body of believers. He says, among them, in your midst, I have promised to dwell among you. Meaning you have access to my presence. My Holy Spirit is made available. And He is also very active. So let's kind of go through the significance of the church being the temple. Simply, the church is now where God dwells. She is His sanctuary. In her is God's name, His glory, His power. From here and through here comes God's revelation for His people. Here God dwells with man and man fellowships with God and enjoys His presence. You know, if we follow the logic of that church is not a building, it is not necessarily or just a physical entity, we say that we are the church, it's the people that make up the church, then guess what? You yourselves in the realm of, realm of church become God's dwelling place. And that also means that the church is indwelt by the Spirit of God. When we refer to God's dwelling place, a place of God's habitation, it just simply means that this is where the Spirit of God resides in. You may think, well, what's so special about that? Well, what if I refer to you that upon Jesus, can you imagine, what if I said Jesus is among us? How many guys would love it if Jesus physically would live among us? How many guys think it would be beneficial for your faith life that Jesus lived with you walk with you, was available to perform miracles, to intervene on your behalf? How many guys would like that? I would like it. I would like it because I need it. Guess what? When Jesus left the earth, upon finishing His ministry, upon finishing the work on the cross, as He was departing, He promised the Holy Spirit in His stead. He says, you know what? It's time for me to peace out, guys. But don't you worry because I'm leaving, but I'm sending somebody just as powerful, just as competent. And his whole purpose of his existence is so that he may be very helpful for you. And that's the Holy Spirit. Guys, when God says, now the church is indwelt by the Spirit of God, guess what, folks? That's good news. Meaning the power and the authority and the love of, love of our God is made available through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what the church is for. While we can't imagine Jesus physically occupying our church, 
according to God's holy scriptures, this church, this collective body of Christ is filled with the activity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And now, so you guys understand, the church is God's dwelling place. This is where the Spirit of God dwells. And He moves and ministers. He helps. He's active. And the last portion of our main passage says, For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Guess what? Not only is the church of God, is a place of the Spirit of God dwelling in this place, but it says that church of God is holy. God's temple is holy. Holy meaning set apart, consecrated. Literal definition in the Jewish culture, holiness meant it is not used for ordinary things. It is not used for ordinary things. It meant set apart. We're different in substance, in nature. It's because God has ordained us for a different purpose, for a specific purpose that is different than that of the world. Rooftop Church. Do you understand this aspect of being a church? Do you understand this about the church? That there is a sacredness. There's an aspect where, uh, there's an aspect of it where it is not to be messed with. That we ought to come to the house of God and the presence of God with certain reverence. That we as individual members, we are not to corrupt and mess with the nature of God. That God has ordinances. And being in relationship with God, that now there are expectations. Because who you live with should absolutely affect how you live. God says, as you are my dwelling place, as my spirit has made a habitation among you, now be holy. I mentioned to you that the word temple refers to the innermost chamber of the physical building. And that place was so sacred, no one else was allowed except the high priest himself once a year. And in preparation for that once a year meeting with God, he himself would stay up, at least uh, the scripture, oral traditions tell us that he would stay awake for about at least minimum five days, repenting for any possible sin, any failure, any shortcoming that he could muster up, he would, re, he would stay up reciting oral uh, law, confessing, praying, getting ready. Right? Think about that. Because upon entering, if the holiness of God came with the sinfulness of man, and any sin, any shortcoming, any fallenness is evident, that person would literally just die immediately. So this, this, I'm saying poor priest, had the responsibility of representing the entire nation. So he's probably thinking about his friend Bob. He's a, a temple member, James and Jimmy. He's like, oh man, their lives are a mess. Oh, David, he's living so corruptly. He's, he's confessing every sin that he could think about. Making sure that, and that wasn't enough. Guess what they did? They, they, they slaughtered a, a lamb. 
uh, with the blood that would come from the sacrifice, he would put that around the earlobes and his chin and his face and his, and his arms, making sure that he would have the physical appearance of a dead man. They put a rope around his waist. And they put the bells around their, his ankles just in case something went wrong. Just in case a little blemish was found in the temple room. As he broke through, as he entered into the Holy of Holies. Just in case his priest would fall dead. They would drag him out pulling that rope. They would know by the, the, the shaking of the bells. I mean that's how sacred this thing was. Because the holiness of God mattered. Holiness of God was not to be messed with. I think about this. I think about how the holiness of God is treated nowadays in the local churches. I wonder how many of us are mindful of the God that not, is only, not only is He loving and forgiving and gracious, but the same, same loving, gracious, forgiving Father is also a holy God cannot in his nature be in the presence of sin, rebellious spirit. I think about that. I think so many of us seek for a place to be accepted. We would love for a place where we can belong, allowing them to be themselves we, we love a place where we can be comfortable. And I get that. And I think I believe every church should be a condoning, accepting, embracing of uh, uh, people of all different kinds of walks. But that shouldn't come at the cost of not recognizing that we have a God who is holy. We have a God who is easily offended and should be offended by anything that is opposite in His nature. While God forgives us, while God condones us and leads us through His kindness. But the goal is that we are purified along the process. In my younger days, the holiness of God often drove me away from church. In my earlier years of my being Christian, this aspect of God's holy nature intimidated me it scared me it burdened me it drove me to places where i wanted to just simply hide because i thought i was never good enough and i would never be good enough i remember having the holiness of god serving as a separation between me and god but after years of being Christian, after years of being in relationship with Him, and I realized that I am no longer repelled by God's holy nature. In fact, I am more drawn to Him more than ever. Because I am no longer fearful of what I am not. I am more drawn by the fact that what I want to be, what I need to become, and that is God's holiness should be and absolutely needs to be present in my life. So right now, when I read the passages like this, that I am God's holy temple. God has made a dwelling in me. 
I welcome it. I receive it. And I pray that God would continue to reside in my life and through my life. Guys, this means the church, the congregation, the individual members of the church is called to be holy, set apart, reserved for God and His use. Meaning right now, as you're a member of this church, you ought to be examining your life. You ought to be mindful of the areas in your life, areas that you want to keep hidden, areas that where you're not so comfortable in God coming and, 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 and affecting your life, your pursuit of holiness matters as you are a member of this church. Let me, uh, and I, I want to say this point here. Your individual life, listen, your individual life or your individual pursuit of holiness prefigures the life and the holiness of the church you belong to. Does that mean? Right, does that make sense? Do you, know, do you know what that means? Your pursuit of holiness, how you live your life, affects the holiness and the life and the health of the church that you belong to. Simply because you're a member of this body. Let me explain a little bit. This past week, I told you that we had a softball game, right? Uh, we showed up around 3.45 uh, the game was set at 4 to 6 p.m. So the lights were reserved uh, to be on for two hours, and we paid good money so that we would have lights. When we showed up, the other team did not show up. So some of them were there, little by little, they trickled in. And around 4.15, not every one of the opposing team was present, and we were eager to get the game going. Well, I, I was eager to get the game going because we only have limited amount of uh, uh, daylight. Or, you know, and around 420, 425 or so, uh, clearly the other team, most of them were there. And one of them said, you know what, can we wait five more minutes because one of our players is not here. We don't have a full squad. I'm, at this point, I'm like, I'm pretty annoyed, right? And all the while being reminded of the sermon that I just given, being, of being competitive, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to hold it in together. And I look around, it's like, there are enough people. I saw one guy sitting on the bench. You, they could have put him on the field, right? But they refused. Because then I looked around. It's like I realized that they were, their best player was missing. I'm like, uh-uh. This ain't going to happen, I said. And I kind of shouted, forget it. Come on, let's get to going right now. Come on. Right? And I said it a little loud. And, and, and I, I, I forgot. And I think I realized there's a couple teammates right around me. I said something like, Man, they're so annoying. I said that. And I'm just saying, I, I just want to repent publicly here, okay? I just blurted it out because that's how it literally fe felt. As soon as I found those words coming out of my mouth, I caught in the corner of my eye uh, another member whom I love of the church. And I realized, oh, Scott, what did you just do? And I instantly regretted that I got upset. I instantly regretted that I, I, I blurted out what I just blurted out. So I, the entire game, I played with a heavy heart. And the entire game, I was happy that, I, that we won, but I went home thinking I could not stop shaking off that who else heard me speak out in 
frustration, and anger. And I was praying to God, God, hopefully you're able to cause temporary deafness so that none of the other church members were able to hear or hopefully they were never able to uh, feel my frustration or anger. Guess what, guys? Because how I behave represents how our church behaves. They will walk away evaluating their individual encounter with me and now project it on a bigger scale to be their encounter with the rest of the church. Are you with me so far? So first of all, I repent. I apologize. I'm sorry. Okay? Would you forgive me? Wow! (laughs) Would you forgive me? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay? That's what I mean. On that field, I I represent my entire church. Guess what, folks? How you live your life, how you treat other people when you're not even in the presence of your church members, you are representing the church. It doesn't matter that I can't see what you're doing in your private life. In fact, I don't want to see what you do in your privacy of your life. I may be spooked out. I may be grossed out. I may be offended. But it is my hope and prayer that you understand when we call ourselves as a member of Rooftop Church that we are representing, we are being reminded, man, we are God's dwelling place. The Spirit of God resides in us. Spirit of God has chosen to meet with us in our collective church body. And I pray that that instills motivation, love, and even a little bit of what? Accountability. That how you live your life, how you pursue holiness is a reflection of the rest of the church body. Meaning, what you are okay with should be aligned with what the church should be okay with. What you condone on your individual, ba- uh, individual life should be aligned with what we condone. What is our focus? What do we pursue? And guys, I don't know about you, I live with this burden every day, every moment of my life. Every time I'm tempted to sin, even though I failed last Sunday, every time I'm in the middle, every time I'm in a crisis, every time there's an urge in my, in my heart, I'm always reminded that my life prefigures the life of the church. Rooftop church. Will you, will you, as members of this church, accept this challenge? Accept this call? Answer to the invitation when it says, Be holy, for I am holy. The last part. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. I'm, I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. If any man tries to destroy, the better translation of that word destroy, he's not talking about, you know, going, you know, Hulk smash and 
you know, plowing with the bulldozer and, and sledgehammer, knocking down the physical building, that the literal translation of their word is, if any man corrupts the temple of God, if any man defiles, if any man perverts the temple of God, God's going to do the same to that person. God's not going to let you be. Guess what? If we as members of this church, we take lightly the call to be holy, to honor the sanctified, sanctified body of Christ, God's going to do away with us. He's not going to be satisfied seeing His temple being defiled, being corrupted in that manner.